0: You to be Oklahoma,
1: has it. Excellence has been established by Coach Wilkinson, Coach Witzer, and Coach Stoops. It's my responsibility to bend that standard and to build upon that standard. Welcome to the Oklahoma Trail Podcast. With your hosts, Jesse Fritten-Denis and Brian Clark.
2: Hello, Sooner Nation, OU Insider, subscribers, coach, Brian Clinton, enthusiasts, and fanatics, because they're different. Those are two different words. Um, Cross-country traveler appreciators, mountain lovers, like we saw in BYU last weekend. This is another episode of the Oklahoma Drill fueled by OU Insider. And the rivals network my name is jesse crittenden and i am of course joined as always by my co-host sir coach mr esquire brian clinton brian i haven't actually we've talked about it a little bit but you went on a cross-country trip to byu with our good friend and colleague parker thune how was that experience? Cause that's, that's a little bit of time in a car. I had a much easier time getting there and
0: back. How, how was that for you? Well, the good news is, um, I can spend 36 hours in a vehicle with Parker Thune over a four day period and neither one of us threw the other one out the window. So that was good. Um, no, it, it was, it was good, man. Uh, it was fun. It was, it was, it was a really good road trip. Um, lots of amazing scenery. We went through Albuquerque, uh, New Mexico and went up, uh, North through, uh, Utah to get to Provo. So we got to see like all the, it's kind of a deserty kind of, kind of look and, and lots of, of, uh, I think the proper way of saying it is buttes, um, lots of, lots of, uh, really cool, uh, Uh, stuff to look at there. And then on the way back, we decided to go through Denver. Um, so lots of, we got to see pretty much every inch of the Rocky mountains that you, you could want to see lots of snow. Um, we saw, we just, we saw a lot of America. It was cool. It was really, really fun. And then obviously Provo was just beautiful, man. I mean, just like an awesome place to watch a football game and, and great people. It was, it was just overall, it was great.
2: Nothing could have prepared me for how cool uh, of of a trip that was going to be to Provo. I knew there were mountains. I love Utah. I've been there several times. I'd never been to Provo or Salt Lake city. Um, but I think even Ryan Aber from the Oklahoma tweeted it, I walked into the press box and I was like, how do football players play here? It's like the most beautiful scenery you could ever ask for in a college football venue. Um But that's cool. I know I know the road trip was a lot, but you also you know, when you're in a plane, you don't really get to see that kind of stuff that you guys got to see. And it is pretty cool when you travel out west, uh, how much cool stuff you could see. And it was funny talking to a lot of the OU football players who had never even been west of Oklahoma before, (laughs) um, you know, not knowing what to expect. The one thing I was going to ask you, I meant to ask Parker because, you know, Parker documented a lot of y'all's, not only y'all's trip driving, but also our trip, you know, we all stayed in Airbnb uh, with Brandon drum, our, our colleague. Uh, What's he doing with that foot? I know he's going to make like a a YouTube video or something, but when is that coming out? Is there, I haven't talked
0: to him. I believe he's, I believe that's something he's working on as we speak. Uh, I think he wanted to get that out um, pre Thanksgiving. I, I think that was something he had planned on having out Wednesday um, so we'll we'll just have to see with well, us recording this on Tuesday night. I think tomorrow would be a safe bet. And it'll be it'll be a watch. It'll be something that you wanna you wanna make sure you're catching on because it was uh it was a good time. Lots of lots of funny moments, lots of good stuff. So
2: Well, for people who come to this channel that watch our podcast that do that consume everything that we do over to OU Insider, this will be a little bit of a different video. It'll be a little bit of a different look. Uh, you know, it's not super OU related. It's, you know, it's a trip related. I think, I think everybody will get kind of a different uh, perspective on, on us and what we do. I I think it's going to be pretty cool. Uh, but Brian, we have a lot to talk about. We have an interesting, uh, OU 31 to 24 win over BYU that, uh was probably pretty nerve-wracking for some fans. Uh BYU was a heck of a performance, but a lot to talk about there. A lot to talk about in terms of the Big 12 landscape heading into this weekend. Obviously, an OU game uh against TCU on Black Friday, not on Saturday. So a little bit of an, an interesting wrinkle there. But Brian, before we do that, this is obviously Thanksgiving week. We are recording this a day early. Uh, For people who might be going through some, you know, Thanksgiving travels uh, to listen to some football or you football content from us. Brian, I have to ask you, and I did not ask you these questions before we recorded the pod because I wanted your true, on the spot, instinctual reaction. I've got two important questions for you. Okay. About Thanksgiving related foods. Okay. The first one stuffing is an essential Thanksgiving food. True or false true
0: true okay true. Hey, explain yourself stuffing is something that you only hear around the holidays so uh, you know I, I don't know very many guys i guess i guess you could go to walmart and put, purchase yourself a, a box a, a box of of stuffing to to make or you know a side or something during the week with with a I don't know with with sliced turkey or something, but it just it wouldn't hit the same. Stuffing is something that you see on and around Thanksgiving. Some people do it with Christmas, but uh, yes, absolutely essential. So you're saying
2: you're going to a Thanksgiving dinner, family, friends. If you show up and stuffing's not there, is that a disappointment? Yeah. Is, is that a disappointment? Hundred percent.
0: Okay. Yeah, and it needs to be. I I think this is this is important now. I don't know if this is your other question. There there are some ham people and there are some there are some turkey people on on Thanksgiving. The person that the person that prepares the turkey is also responsible for preparing the stuffing. That is yeah. that that's just I, I think that kind of goes without saying.
2: Well, you you beat me to the punch a little bit as far as the turkey ham. But before we dive into that one, I got to say, I have have a boring take about stuffing, which is I think it's fine. If you combine it with some mashed potatoes or some gravy, I think it's fine. Mm -hmm. But to me, it is not an essential Thanksgiving food. I don't hate it. It's fine. (laughs) It's fine. Look. You can come at me, I guess. Anybody that's listening to this, come at me. I know people, there are people who die by stuffing. It's just not my thing. I like, it's fine, just not my thing. But that is the other question, is turkey or ham? Because I got to tell you, Brian, I like both. I think I got to go ham.
0: Where, Where do you lean on this? So the way that I have always looked at this is turkey is a Thanksgiving delicacy and i would put ham in a christmas christmas ham turkey on thanksgiving now again most people uh with with just family from all over the place coming in you're probably going to have the option of both and i think that that's that's fine i don't have any problem with with people having ham on on thanksgiving but um I think that, uh, that, the Turkey is the direction I would have to go, uh, if for nothing else, Turkey is not an easy thing to, I, I don't know if you've ever attempted or, or helped because I it, know
2: it's, I know it's hard. It is, I don't have to do it to know it's hard. There's
0: a reason why <laughs> firemen do commercials this time of year about burning your house down, deep frying Turkey. I mean, it it's tough. It's a, it's a, it's very, it's an art. And I think that the one time of year that you feel obligated to do so i think that it's probably best enjoyed that one time of year and and uh, and and then deal with deal with hams later on in my opinion so
2: i think that's fair i think that's fair and then a quick bonus question pumpkin pie yes or no i'm unequivocally enthusiastically
0: yes i love pumpkin pie i genuinely do i'm Where not are a, you? i'm not a huge pumpkin pie fan pecan pie is is the is the go-to for me on, on Thanksgiving. Pecan pie is better. It is
2: better. It, pecan pie actually is the ultimate pie. It just what? is.
0: Dude, high it five. It is.
2: High five.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> that, yes, I agree with you 100%. It is the most underrated of the pies.
2: I, it doesn't get talked about enough. It oh. does not get its due. What is better than pecan pie with a little bit of whipped cream? How, tell me. A pie, yeah. I mean, that's I love pumpkin pie. It's not, it's not pecan right. pie. Right. It's not.
0: Well, and here's the thing. People p- people say that, Amer- that, you know, apple pie is American, and it is. But are you going to sit here with a straight face and tell me that a slice of apple pie with with vanilla ice cream is better than a slice of pecan pie with, with ice cream, with vanilla ice cream? Because you're lying to yourself if you believe that.
2: I don't get the apple pie. Look, again, I like apple pie. It's fine. It's fine. fine. Yes. It's fine. It's fine. Pecan Uh, pie is elite. Yeah. If someone serves me apple pie, I'm like, oh, that's nice. This will be fine. If I show up somewhere and there's pecan pie, I'm freaking out. I'm trying my best to seem like an adult and not like a little child Mm -hmm. who just got the greatest Christmas present ever. I love pecan pie. Always. Store-bought. I mean, everything homemade is always better, but store-bought, homemade. It's the best dessert. It's my ultimate dessert.
0: So my, my aunt Cassie makes the best pecan pie and I regret to inform the world that uh, I'm going to miss out on that this year because we are going with uh, we're, we're going with my in-laws. My wife's family is who we're going to, to celebrate Thanksgiving with this year. So, so aunt Cassie, if there's any way that you could find, find it in your heart to uh, save me a piece or mail me a piece that would be much appreciated. I will definitely uh make it up to you if you could find it in your heart to do that.
2: Start sending signals now, there you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> brain waves. <laughs> and and hopefully that comes to fruition. Okay. I know a little bit more about you now. I, I think we differ a little bit, but we could both agree. Com pie, Goat tier. It's at the top. Goat. It is. Tom Brady. It is. Pies. It, it is. Or The Tony Romo 2014 of pies. That's a whole other discussion. That's a whole other discussion. We'll get into that another time. Dallas Cowboys fans know. Dallas Cowboys fans know Tony Romo hasn't gotten his due. Anyways, this is not a Dallas Cowboys podcast. This is an OU football podcast, Brian. And I think when we're looking at, when we're trying to think about OU TCU, we're trying to think about where OU is now. We're trying to think about how OU has progressed this season. I think the BYU game actually in a weird way stands kind of you un- like in a unique place from the other games, and that includes the losses, because I think this was easily the most favored OU has been in a conference game. But there are moments that, it look, if Billy Bowman doesn't get the pick, if Danny Stutzman doesn't get the, the strip sack, if Gavin Sawchuck doesn't get the crazy bulldozing touchdown run, mm-hmm. I think things look a little bit differently. But I think one of the things, one of the main things that were talked about from that game, or if you watched that game was the run defense. And it was so odd because the OU rush defense has been pretty good all year, especially compared to last year. Uh, as far as comparing teams, you know, other teams in the big 12 run defense has been good. Brian, this is a BYU team that was averaging 90 or 90 yards per game on the ground. And they went for a, for a season high 217 on the ground. Um, Brent Venables talked about it a little bit in his press conference. He talked about the press rush, too. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. But you and, and Parker just did a, a rewatch, a game rewatch video that's going to be up on the OU Insider YouTube channel a little bit later. What was your takeaway from watching the defense and specifically how they defended the run? I know we only have one more regular season game and possibly a, a conference title game possibly and a bowl game. But is that a – maybe – is it a concern for the rest of the year? But more but more broad picture, is it a concern that this is so late in the season and this was a pretty
0: disappointing performance by the OU run defense? What well, what'd you see? So it was very clear throughout re-watching the game that Oklahoma's linebackers struggled to see they struggled to see the run. Uh, They struggled to fit things properly. There was not, there was a lot of times where you had guys, uh, even Danny Stutzman, who has been incredible all season long, getting guys lined up. And maybe this is a product of him not being at a hundred percent health wise, um, dealing with the stomach bug or the flu, whatever it was. And, um, you know, there was times throughout the game where, guys just weren't fitting things properly. You've got, you know, so you've got gap assignments for linebackers uh, in the run game. Um, You know, you've got guys who are responsible for a gap, B gap out to D obviously safeties work into that. And in some instances Um, there was just a lot of times where you had guys uh, leaving gaps wide open. And, and, And I mean, wide enough that you could literally, you hear people say you could drive a truck through that, through that hole. I mean, there were times where, especially in the second half. I mean, Aiden Robbins for, for BYU just had, he had more space than he's probably had all season right? in in a couple of those situations. So um, part of me wonders if, if BYU maybe um, Parker and I were in agreement as BYU stumbled upon this, this was like, they probably, they ran this once or twice and were like, Oh wow, they're they're not they're not doing a very good job fitting that. Let's keep doing that, and and they they kept running those speed option looks, read option looks, um, you know, some some inside zone things that Oklahoma just wasn't fitting well, and and I think a lot of it was was just that that Redslaff was, uh, their, BYU's quarterback was he was really good uh, at, at hesitating in the in the option game. And he did just enough for, for Oklahoma to have to account for him. And and it just, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a good day. Um, Another thing that I'll I'll say is I really truly believe that Oklahoma prepared for Keaton Slovis to play in this football game. Um, You heard Brent Venables a couple of times last week say that uh, they expected to have him back and BYU's offense up to this point had not been good at all without, without Keaton Slovis. And so I, I think Oklahoma spent a lot of time working for him and, and what they did in the past game and not much uh, on what was red Soft brought in the run game. And, and it, and it obviously it burned Oklahoma.
2: I think that's, that's a really good point. Cause Keaton Slovis, while I think the best quarterback on this team or on BYU more of a pocket passer. Mm -hmm. And we've seen this, we've seen this OU defense struggle against mobile quarterbacks. And I think you're right, Brian. Like, I think if you went back and watched BYU footage, they did do some things more against OU that they really hadn't done all year. I mean, they were running traditional speed options. Mm -hmm. When has OU defended that all year? Now that doesn't mean, that's not an excuse for OU to not be prepared, but they were running traditional, you know, old, old, style quarterback takes the snap running backs beside him and they're going out on the perimeter and quarterbacks either going to read the defensive end and keep it or pitch it and it was clear OU defensively wasn't prepared for that i mean they really weren't and you mentioned the linebacker core i think that's the other interesting thing is kip lewis who has played really well the last few weeks and who has emerged late in the season really struggled he only saw 24 snaps and you mentioned even Danny Stutzman struggled. Jaron Cannick, who was the starting uh, middle linebacker through the first few weeks of the season, his struggles continued. He saw eight snaps mm. against BYU, had finished with the worst grade, according to pro, f- pro football focus of anybody on the defense. Kobe McKenzie ended up seeing a bunch of snaps, but uh, Brent Venables kind of alluded to it. Uh, it was kind of the fault of everybody, but I think he laid the blame mostly at the linebacker group. They, they didn't feel... Uh, like you said, the, the the gap assignment wasn't good, but I think the other thing, Brian, is the pass rush. That was something that Brent Venables talked about on Monday. Look, the the Danny Stutzman strip sack was a great play. It was a big mm-hmm. play. OU needed that. But that was the first sack for this OU defense since the UCF game. And while I think if you listen to Brent Venables' answer when he was asked about the pass rush, he would say it's not the fault of the defensive line that – Opposing conference teams have schemed to either bring more offensive linemen into the box and also quarterbacks have been getting out, getting the ball out quickly to kind of counter that OU aggressive defense, which is what Brent Brent Venables wants to do mm-hmm. on the same token, according to pro football focus, this was the worst. The pass rush has been all season for OU. So in a pass rush sense, How much did you see, is it the defensive line not winning the battle up front? Is it the linebackers needing to do more? Is it opposing offenses countering almost that OU aggressiveness? What are you seeing in that regard?
0: So this is probably to some people going to sound like an excuse, but if you go back and watch this game, the field surface, awful. was brutal. It was Absolutely brutal. awful. Worst Genuine. I've ever seen. It is. It, I mean, there were, it was like playing on ice. The very first play of the game, uh, Jalil Farouk was in motion, uh, and, and tries to run a 10 yard stop route slips and just slides almost all the way to the, to the, uh, BYU sideline. So your most, your most explosive athletes size, uh, the guys that generate the most force, at the snap are your pass rushers. Those guys are explosive going upfield. Uh, there's a lot of force behind that. I think that the field surface genuinely played a huge role in Oklahoma's ability to get after the quarterback. Um, they still did from time to time. There were, there were points where, uh, you know, like Desan McCullough maybe be, comes, comes clean and has an opportunity to to get a hit on the quarterback Kendall Dolby, uh, Danny Stutzman a couple of times there, there were opportunities there, but as far as your defensive ends getting upfield with their hand on the ground and, and trying to get off the ball, it was just tough. It was a really tough situation. Um, BYU's pass rush. Uh, they, they also, uh, had some, some issues getting after Oklahoma here. Uh, and so, you know, again, I, I think BYU did a good job, uh, getting rid of the ball quickly, um, under three seconds, most of the time, it was a lot of, a lot of just quick game, but yeah, when you, when you're not able to, to get that initial move and you're sliding after you are trying to stop and work back to the quarterback, it just makes it really difficult. And, and, uh, I, I, I can say BYU is, I, I think the big, tw- I don't know if it was the big 12 that stepped in or BYU just under its own, uh, on its own accord. BYU is, is tearing that filled up and, and starting over. Uh, after the season it's just awful I mean it, it's it's not a it's not really not safe for the players and it's also it just has too much of an impact on games
2: it's interesting you say that because that was also my takeaway and and I know we both appreciate the Oklahoma breakdown with with Teddy Layman, mm, yeah and Gabe Eichard they talked about that a lot too which makes me wonder I know there's a debate about turf versus you know real you know grass fields to me, I mean, I, I appreciate grass fields, but they obviously require more work. And again, it's not about an excuse. Look, Oklahoma and BYU were playing on the same playing surface. Yeah. But to me, there were instances, if you go back and watch the, field, the film, both sides of the ball for both teams struggled with the field. Yeah. And to me, it was different when BYU was a group of five team. But when, once you become a power five team, you're playing in the big 12, which is the third biggest and most significant conference in college football. You can't have that kind of stuff. No, I, I don't know. You, where do you fall on that?
0: hundred percent. I, I think. Um, it's either the wrong kind of grass because we do see teams in the north, um, in the Northern part of the country. Um, we do see them use uh, real grass, but. I think Utah, with, with it being such a wet climate um, and, and there's always cloud cover, there's not a lot of opportunity for the sun to really dry things out from week to week. I, I do think that this is a situation where they may need to go artificial, whether they like it or not. That's I think at some point you just, you don't want to, you don't, you're putting athletes at risk. Um, you're, you're putting guys that there's just too many things that happen with bad field surface. Uh, we, we see guys in the NFL all the time, go down, um, with injuries based on field surface issues. And, and we've seen this become a a talking point. If, if teams are talking about what kind of cleats they need coming into a game because your field surface is is changing the way that it's going to be played, then especially, as you said, at the Big 12 level, it's time to make a change. And I think BYU is in a situation where
1: that is certainly the case. This episode of the Oklahoma Drill Podcast is brought to you in part by HelloFresh. Folks, this time of year during the grind of football season, I love using HelloFresh to cut down on my meal prep time and save myself precious minutes throughout the day, while also maintaining a nutritious diet in the process. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients, and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep, skip trips to the grocery store, and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. The holidays are right around the corner, and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you tons of time. The holiday season can be hectic, and that's where HelloFresh's 15-minute meals come in. These quick fixes help you get a wholesome meal on the table in less time than it takes to get delivery. Go to HelloFresh.com slash OUinsiderFree and use code OUinsiderFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash OUinsiderFree with code OUinsiderFree. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. From a broad perspective about this
2: game, here's the thing. Was it pretty? No. Was it in some ways, again, especially the Billy Bowman play, if that doesn't happen... Go ahead.
0: Uh, Billy Bowman doesn't play in this game for Oklahoma. Not just that play. I mean, take that play away, and Parker said this in, in the rewatch: If you take Billy Bowman out of that game, OU doesn't win it. Oh, he was all over the, and it wasn't. I mean, that play obviously is what's going to stand out, but he was all over the field. I mean, if there were, if there was a play to be made in open field, uh, two was there. I mean, it was it, he was excellent in this football game, um, and it just goes to show you those effort plays and the, and that experience that he's built up. I mean, my goodness, he had himself one hell of a football game. And, and if they wouldn't have had him, Oh, you'd have been in a lot of trouble.
2: No, I agree with you. And that's why, I mean, look, you even look at the stats. I mean, I mean, Billy Bowman finished tied for second and tackles with eight. He had a tackle for loss. That was one of only four on the day for this OU defense. And obviously he had the huge pick six, Um, that was, that was a huge play, but I think you're right. That was kind of the shocking thing is look, it's not about BYU. It's not about putting down BYU, uh, winning on the road in conference play is hard. It is, but that also, but, and look, the OU offense did some good things. I mean, Dylan Gabriel, I thought was solid in the first half. Gavin Sawchuck continues to. Uh, assert himself as the top running back for this team, another 100-yard day for him. And, of course, that touchdown run in the second half was just mm. massive. So it's not about doom and gloom. Look, this Oklahoma team is 9-2. and And while it's probably – it's a little disappointing from where this team was after the Texas win, this team is still 9-2 and with a chance this weekend to finish the regular season 10-2 and with the possibility of a Big 12 title berth. Um, so it's not it's not all doom and gloom, but it was, and the, I mean, and we're not even talking about injuries. I mean, Peyton Bowen's not fully healthy. Gentry Williams didn't play uh, again. Um, Danny Stutzman, you mentioned wasn't fully healthy. It, it's there's a lot going into this. So it's not all bad, but I do think it was pretty interesting against a BYU team that has been at the bottom of the Big Twelve in most standings. And that's when when you go to look f- ahead to this Friday matchup. Against TCU, to me, it's a little bit hard to project, Ryan, because it's a TCU team that's five and six. That is the exact same record as BYU now after the Oklahoma loss. But you look at TCU, and this is a team that the last couple of weeks they've played a lot better. They had Texas on the ropes a couple of weeks ago. That was a 29-26 loss. Yep. And then they they beat up it was Texas Tech, right?
0: 42 uh, no, no, early. Baylor, Baylor,
2: Baylor, sorry, Baylor, uh, my fault, Baylor. They beat, they beat Texas tech too. No, I believe uh, Texas tech took TCU down. I believe I need to make sure I have the schedule pulled up. My bad. No, That's you're not good.
0: Me. You're good. Uh, I covered I've got them right here. They, they, so they kicked BYU all over the field, uh, back in October 44 to 11. That's right. That's uh, right. lost to Kansas state 41 to three. Lost to Tech 35-28. Texas, obviously, like you said, on the ropes and then lost that game and then just beat the brakes off of Baylor last week.
2: This is a TCU team that's been kind of all over the place. I think they've been – kind. I mean, their season has been pretty inconsistent. Yes. But you look, at, you look at just conference play. TCU ranks ninth in the Big 12 in scoring offense, uh, almost 27 points per game. They rank sixth in scoring defense. They're giving up tw- almost twenty-five points per game. You look at rushing offense; they rank tenth. Rushing defense, they rank sixth. Passing offense, they rank first. Passing defense, they rank first. Um, but I mean, this is kind of a team. You know, even sacks. You know, they've given up uh, the the fifth fewest sacks. They've also had the ninth fewest sacks as a defense. They've kind of been all over the place. But Brian, when you're when you're looking at this matchup, I mean OU is heavily favored. They're at home. The difference in conference play between this OU team on the road and at home is massive on both sides of the ball. It's massive. Just go look at the stats. That's mm-hmm. that's the that's the running game, that's the passing game, that's the rushing defense that's the, defense, that's the passing defense, that's sacks, that's tackles for loss. Big difference. But when you're looking at this matchup with TCU, a game that OU has to have not only just to stay viable for the Big 12 Championship, which we'll talk about a little bit more later, but also just to finish 10 and two, mm-hmm. which I think feels a lot better than nine and three. W- what stands out to you about this matchup, and and what challenges TCU presents coming to Norman this weekend?
0: So, the the TCU offense runs through Monty Bailey. He's their leading rusher. He's over a thousand yards on the year. Um, the the Big 12, by the way just an incredible stable of running backs. You've got four Doak Walker semifinalists in this conference and Imani Bailey is not one of them. So, I mean, just really, really good, uh, from top to bottom, but, but Bailey is going to, uh, lead the way for them on the ground. Josh Hoover is the quarterback, uh, who is filling in for, for an injured Chandler Morris. Um, that's a guy that's gone over 400 yards in each of the last two games through the air, uh, over 300 last three games, they like to throw it around. This is, uh, you know, Kendall Bryles is is the offensive coordinator there, former guy at at, uh, um, at at Arkansas, and so they're gonna they're gonna try and spread you out, run the ball. Uh, it's very similar to what Jeff Levy does, um, very similar system, and so uh, they're gonna try and push the ball down the field, get their one on one matchups uh, in, in coverage, and then try and spread you out in the running lanes and and run some zone. Uh, very similar to what OU does. Um, so offensively, there, there's that. Defensively, Jamoy Hodge, if you're not familiar with this guy, um, he, he brings the wood. That's, this is a guy that uh, he knocked Dylan Gabriel out last year uh, in, in this game. Uh, Johnny Hodges is out for the season, which is one of their better linebackers. Uh, and uh, he he won't be in this game. And then uh, Namby Obiazor, uh, I'm hope I'm I'm sure I butchered that name, but uh, Obiazor, however you say his name, he leads them in tackles. Really good linebacker. Um, I think he's a younger guy as well, and somebody that that uh, is making a lot of plays. And then Bud Clark is back at safety. They've got really good play in the secondary. So um, this is a good football team. Now, as you said, inconsistency has killed them. They've been all over the place. Um, they've given up big plays against good offenses. There will be opportunities for Oklahoma's offense in this game, but I think what it comes down to me for uh, Jesse is is Oklahoma's played two teams this year that beat them last season. Uh, that's Texas and that's West Virginia. I think, as weird as it sounds, the the games that Oklahoma has has not looked good in you could almost tell that the focus really wasn't there. And and maybe that's just simply because there are so many young playmakers on this team that have to step up and, uh, and be, you know, for lack of a better term, playmakers in those games, but against West Virginia and against Texas, you could tell their full attention was on those opponents all week long. And I think that call it the revenge factor, call it whatever you want to, this team beat Oklahoma down in Fort Worth last year. And, uh, really I think, I, I think that, uh, I think that that's going to be a factor in this one and how Oklahoma looks, especially back at home, uh, in the last big 12 game on Owen field ever.
2: To me, uh, you're, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And to me, when you're looking at TCU stats for the year and yeah, they've, they've had moments where they're good on both sides of the ball moments where they're bad. To me, this almost comes down to, you know, again, I mentioned it earlier, they're first in passing offense and first in passing defense. Um, This is a team that doesn't run the ball particularly well, but I mean, the defense is, you know, and both the the run and the pass has been pretty decent this year, which leads to the question, or not a question, but I, I think whether Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold plays in this game is pretty significant. I mean, it really is. And one thing we didn't talk about with this BYU game last weekend was obviously Dylan Gabriel exiting, uh, at the end of the first half, not coming back, uh, with what Brent Venables has termed as an upper body injury, but from anybody that's seen the, the play right before the first half where Dylan Gabriel got tackled pretty hard, it looks like he, his head took a pretty big hit, uh, on the turf, which makes, you know, makes you wonder about a concussion. Mm -hmm. Um, Jackson Arnold came in in the second half, did just enough. I think it was pretty clear. I mean, Jackson Arnold only attempted nine passes in the second half. uh, Completed those, you know, he completed five of those passes for 33 yards. He was more active in the run game than Dylan Gabriel was. I mean, Dylan Gabriel attempted four rushes in the first half. Jackson Arnold had eight in the second half. So it's pretty clear that while I think these two quarterbacks have slightly similar skill sets, they like. Jackson Arnold's running ability. Now, uh, I don't want to say too much, but but our colleague Brandon Drum over at OUInsider.com has talked about uh, Dylan Gabriel, the the way he's progressing through this weekend, or or to be ready for on to be ready for Friday. Brent Venables yesterday said that he's confident that if he keeps progressing, he'll be ready. But to me, Brian, it's not only it's not about being confident if one quarterback plays and not confident if another one does, but to me, I I think this is it's a big deal, whether Dylan Gabriel or Jackson Arnold plays. So to you, since we don't know the answer yet, as we're recording tonight, I guess, how do you think this OU defense or this OU offense tries to attack TCU? If Dylan Gabriel is in the game, how do you think they try to attack them if Jackson Arnold is in the game? And how big of a deal is it if one plays over the other?
0: So I will just put it this way. First and foremost, I think as an Oklahoma fan, given the nature of this injury, I think you need to operate under the assumption that Jackson Arnold going to be the guy only because the only reason I say that six days to turn around from a concussion, if that like, is what they were afraid of is just not something that Oklahoma's training staff is going to be comfortable with. It's just not. Um, so if that is what, what Dylan Gabriel is dealing with, I would not, I wouldn't imagine he's going to go, but, again, we, we don't know for sure. So let's operate under the assumption, both things could happen. If Dylan Gabriel is in the game, obviously the experience there plays plays well. Um, just being able to, uh, you know, do all the nuances in this offense that that he gets and understands that baby Jackson Arnold doesn't. Um, so I, I think that there's going to be some things there that that Jackson might miss that, that Dylan would, would pick up now that's not a that's not a detriment to what Jackson Arnold offers you um the the ceiling with Jackson Arnold athletically is no, no offense to to Dylan Gabriel cuz he's been fantastic but there are just going to be some things that that Jackson Arnold brings to the table that that Dylan Gabriel doesn't and so um you know i, I would imagine this week uh, just given given what what Gabriel's having to deal with, that Jackson's getting a lot of run with the first team, which he probably hasn't been doing a lot of this year, and given the conditions at uh in Provo compared to what you're dealing with at Oklahoma, um, I would be very surprised if it's not a totally different look from from Gabe, from uh from from Jackson Arnold. I mean, he should have every opportunity to light things up.
2: Not to mention that it's a lot different to have to, you have minutes at halftime to adjust to Dylan Gabriel being out and Jackson Arnold coming in as
0: opposed to days to prepare for that. Right. Yes, no, exactly. Uh, As far as, as far as schematically, I really do think that you attack TCU the same way with both of these guys. They're both a threat to running the football. Now Jackson, you know, I, I will say, despite him having eight rushes to Gabriel's four, I, I would say, or five, whatever it was, I, I would say, four. I would say a lot of that probably came from Jackson just feeling more comfortable keeping the ball, even though maybe a pass play was called, um you know, there, there were some designed runs for him and, and he is, I mean, he's more of a threat to score with the ball in his hands. I mean, he had a ridiculous amount of success in high school running the football um, but I think you do attack TCU the same way with with both quarterbacks. The one thing I, I will say is the arm strength from from Jackson Arnold is going to allow him to maybe uh, fit some things into tighter windows that that Gabriel may not be as as comfortable doing. It's going to be more about how confident is Arnold um, in his in his first start if he does make the start. Uh, the confidence is going to be the big thing, because there were times in this game against BYU where uh, he he had a guys open. It it just and and it wasn't that he maybe even didn't see him. It, it almost just felt as if he he lacked the he he wasn't sure if he should put the ball in harm's way to get the play made. And so, um, you know, I would imagine after a week of, of operating. Uh, as a potential starter and getting those reps with the ones and, and getting that time with with Jeff Luppy that he may not have gotten otherwise in practice um, I would be really shocked if there's
1: not a big jump and in, in how efficient how effective he is if Jackson Arnold is able to go this episode of the Oklahoma Drill podcast is brought to you in part by Manscaped Mary Ballsmas from our friends over at Manscaped the holidays are approaching but what if I told you that the celebrations are starting early this year it turns out the perfect gift does exist, and who else to bring it down your chimney than the leaders in below-the-waist grooming? Keep calm and let your balls jingle this season with Manscaped's brand-new Performance Package 5.0 Ultra. Featuring the new Lawnmower 5.0, watch all your wishes and mistletoe kisses come true. Look nice when you're going naughty by going to manscaped.com and use code OUINSIDER for 20% off and free shipping. Unwrap the gift of smoothness this season with Manscaped. Folks, I just started using the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra It'll change your life. It offers comfort and ease of use that's unprecedented. Make the switch today. The Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra Body Trimmer and the Weed Whacker 2.0 Nose and Ear Hair Trimmer feature proprietary advanced skin safe technology to protect your delicate presence. Plus, both are waterproof, so there's no issue clearing the snow out of your driveway. Once you're done shaping up, it's only right you put your pants presence in the best wrapping of all, the Boxers 2.0. These are seriously. The best boxers I've ever worn. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code OUINSIDER at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code OUINSIDER. Manscaped, get your jingle balls ready for the holidays.
2: I think it's been pretty interesting to see the optimism about doing Gabriel's ability to play on Friday, given that, I mean, concussions, if you suffer them in a game, it's almost a given that you're going to miss the next week plus. Yes. That's what happened with Dylan Gabriel last year when he suffered a concussion against TCU. He missed the following game against Texas. Um, but w- again, Brent Venables, and I mentioned this to Parker, Brent Venables has not said the word concussion.
1: Nope. That does
2: not mean that's <laughs> not what it is. Right. That does not mean that's that's not what it is. But he has not said that specifically. He called it an upper body injury. Um, but Dylan Gabriel has been getting some run. In practice, which and again, look, this is senior night uh for OU2. I mean, I, I think I think it's one of those things that look that the red shirt has been burned for Jackson Arnold. Uh once he came in the game against BYU, he can't red shirt that's gone. Um, but Dylan Gabriel, look, th- there's a lot of excitement about Jackson Arnold, and there should be. He did some good things. There were some rough things against BYU, but look, that's a that's a true freshman getting put into a close game on the road in the second half, not expecting to be put there. That's an impossible situation. Right. He's 18 years old. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how young he is, but Dylan Gabriel still offers you the best chance to win. And, and that's important just with, I think, again, it's not only just about trying to remain competitive in the big 12 standings, but also finishing the year 10 and two, I think would be huge Yes, for this program. So to to wrap up this matchup, which is at 11 a.m. Central Time, 11 a.m. local time, on Fox Sports, Brian, what's what's the one thing you're going to be looking at for OU on either side of the ball? What's what's the most important thing they need to do, regardless of Jackson Arnold or Dylan Gabriel's playing? What do they need to do to to get a win, finish 10 and two against this TCU team?
0: Offensively, with the question marks a quarterback, you got to run the ball. Gavin Sawchuk needs to be efficient. He needs to get plenty of carries. He only touched the ball 14 times or, or had 14 carries last week and still eclipsed 100 yards. Uh, had ripped off a couple of really good, impressive runs. And he just continues to get stronger and stronger as the season goes along. So I think that that's somebody you need to hand the ball off to a lot. Uh, and then defensively, you're gonna to have to. It's really gonna help. It sounds like Gentry Williams is gonna be back in the fold this week. They uh, need him. They need him need badly him. because TCU is gonna try and throw the ball all over the yard. Um, they want to do that, and so I think there's gonna be opportunities for for Oklahoma's pass rush to maybe, um, put some of those things to rest from last week, and and they're gonna to need to. So I, I think affecting, uh, affect affecting Josh Hoover's eyes. Whether that be the pass rush or getting, um, you know, getting some better cover corners back or getting a better cover corner back in, in, uh, in Gentry Williams to go opposite the field of Woody Washington there. I think that'll be huge. So um, affect Josh Hoover defensively and run the ball well offensively. I, that's
2: I'm glad you mentioned that because it's clear that this TCU offense wants to attack through the air, which is a little bit, I mean, not BYU hasn't been a great running team, but you think about Kansas, mm-hmm. think about West Virginia, think about Oklahoma state. Those were teams that wanted to attack you on the ground. And so this is a little bit of different for this Oklahoma defense, but I think you're right. They Gentry Williams hasn't logged a snap in three of the last four games. I think it's pretty clear that they need him. Yep. It's it's pretty clear that not having Peyton Bowen at full health has also hurt this team. So I think you're right. I I, I think, OU needs both of those guys to play some decent snaps to have a good shot of limiting this TCU defense. But let's let's transition to everything that's going to happen this weekend in the big in in the Big Twelve. How big this weekend is? There are so many scenarios. The Big Twelve Conference, thankfully, finally <laughs> released uh, I, uh, all the or not all of the scenarios, but some of the t- uh, some of the scenarios for what can happen and who can make the big tough title game. Again, not all of them, some of them, but it's pretty clear, Brian, for this OU team that the cleanest way to get there is a win over TCU and a loss from Oklahoma state against BYU. But Brian, from an OU fan perspective, what's, what's your mindset going into this game? What are you rooting for? Again, look, If you're an OU fan, you don't like Texas, you don't like Oklahoma State, you don't necessarily like any team in the Big Twelve. What's your mindset going into this weekend if you're Oklahoma, considering you don't control your destiny, but Texas and Oklahoma State both do? Oklahoma State playing I or play or sorry, Texas playing Texas Tech this weekend, Oklahoma State playing BYU. What's your mindset heading into the weekend?
0: I think if Oklahoma was going to find itself in a position to make the big 12 championship, it would have happened last weekend. That's, that's just how I see things. You had Texas and Oklahoma state, both on the road. Um, They were both single digit favorites in that, in those games. And we saw at, at times in both of those games, both of those teams struggling, at Oklahoma State particularly early on. I mean, they found themselves in a 23 to nine hole at one point and found a way to crawl out of it. So um I feel that that if it was gonna happen for Oklahoma, it was gonna happen last week. And look, anything can happen. This is college football. Um you know it, we've seen crazier things this year than than Oklahoma State dropping a game to to BYU that's certainly not out of the realm of possibility um but but if i'm an Oklahoma fan i i would just assume just just live under the assumption that Oklahoma they squandered their chance at making it to Arlington they 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 couldn't afford to lose back-to-back games to Kansas and Oklahoma State they did and and now it's it's out of your control however i think if if Oklahoma is not going to Make the Big Twelve Championship. It does serve in your best interest for Texas to win and win out. Um, if Texas makes a Big Twelve Championship and wins a Big Twelve Championship, and then proceeds to make a College Football Playoff, Oklahoma's chances of getting in a into a New Year Six Bowl at ten and two are really good. Now you still have to beat TCU, um, but uh, you know that this is we're talking about how many people are really going to look back at Brent Venable's second year if they finish 10 and two and earn a bowl or in a, earn a bid into the orange bowl or Fiesta bowl. And they finish the year 11 and two over, over a top 12 or 13 team in the country. I mean, that's going to be some, that's going to be huge momentum wise. Uh, if Oklahoma was able to get the opportunity to do that, um, the dividends that, that would pay off of something like that would be felt in this, in this recruiting class and going forward. And so, um you know it's it's there's still an outside chance but uh, I would just I would go into the weekend just worried about them beating TCU and and then just see kind of how the how the chips fall after that
2: I agree with you I think there is something to it's it's a it's it's kind of an interesting thing to say but I think there's something to like just enjoy the process go into this weekend hoping oklahoma beats tcu finish 10 and 2 that doesn't mean they can't make the big 12 title game it's not that outside of the realm of possibility but i think there is something to like both things can be true this is kind of a tough position oklahoma has found themselves in given they were 7 and 0 after the wins over texas and and ucf but finishing 10 and 2 there's there's still a lot of things that can happen Brian, to to touch on bowl projections, which have started to heat up a little bit over the last couple of weeks, I think my favorite, because it's so interesting, uh, and forgive me, I can't remember who projected it. It might have been Brett McMurphy with the Action Network, but it it was having Oklahoma in the Peach Bowl against Tulane. That is... That's an interesting thing, not only because it's Tulane. Oklahoma and Tulane played each other in 2021. Mm. Obviously, Tulane had the huge bowl win against UCF last year. Not UCF, sorry, USC Sorry USC last year. So there's the Lincoln-Riley connection. Um, But that's an interesting – I think making the Peach Bowl, if you're Oklahoma, and and everything you said about Texas is right. I think Oklahoma's chance to make a really good bowl game, a New York Six bowl game – is with Texas winning the big 12 or assuming Oklahoma doesn't win the big or assuming Oklahoma doesn't get to the big 12 title game mm-hmm. is Texas winning the big 12 getting to the playoff, but playing Tulane in the peach bowl is a pretty interesting outcome for Oklahoma, but maybe what's been your most intriguing bowl projection and and how do you kind of sort through Oklahoma has been projected a few different places. How, how do you
0: sort through all of that? So this one, and maybe this is just for nostalgia's sake, and and I, uh, I I'm kind of a dreamer. Uh, naturally, I, I like to to dream up scenarios and things of that nature. And I think one that would be, that would be fun that I've seen is is, um, Florida State versus uh, Oklahoma versus Florida Again. State in the Orange Bowl. Um, Brent Venables' second year. No, it's not for a national championship, but you're turning a program around just like Bob Stoops did in, in 2000 in, in Brent Venables' second year, getting an opportunity to face a Florida state team in the orange bowl in Miami, Florida, and it be a statement win that propels them into a new era of success. I, I just, to me, it just seems like a storybook ending for us the second year of of Oklahoma uh, under Brent Venables. Now, you know, Again, that that's contingent on on Texas making the 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 college football playoff and Florida State, you know, losing somewhere along the way to not get in. But with Jordan Travis out, who knows what that team's going to look like? I, I think the the big thing for for me is if Oklahoma can get matched up with with one of these um, big time schools that you know in the last couple of years, it, it almost seems as if perception has has dropped Oklahoma below a team like Florida state uh, or Oregon or who, whoever it is. Um, if Oklahoma can get on the field with one of those teams and prove, Hey, we're still Oklahoma. This is still uh, a program and a team that, that can, can stand with the rest of them. Um, I, I think it would really go a long way and kind of, Squashing some of these narratives that have come up over the years, and and what, what's what's great about it is Oklahoma was six and seven last year, and it and it feels as if people have all have just forgotten that, um, which is a good thing. But when you think about it, this team has made so much progress in a year, and year three is typically when people start to really judge what a uh, what a team is going to look like under a coach traditionally speaking year 3 is when things come together if you're 11 and 2 going into the year 3 coming off of uh coming off of what Brent Venables had to deal with whenever he got here i mean you've seen what usc has become in the last 12 months uh brent venables is dealing with the aftermath of that and has this team uh you know on the verge of going 10 and 2 and into a bowl game so uh there's just un, there's unlimited possibilities for what Oklahoma could do uh, with a with a New Year's six win as far as on on the uh, recruiting trail. And, and I just I, I like where this program sits, regardless of potentially missing out on a Big 12 championship.
2: I, I agree with you. And look, look, I was as big as anybody after that Texas win saying that I didn't see a loss on the schedule. This is a learning thing for me, as much as it is anybody else. That's just not always the way college football works. Yeah, this is still an Oklahoma team rebuilding. You finish ten and two, you make it. You make a good bowl game. You win that game. You finish eleven and two. That still feels that's 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 a good season. Mm-hmm. And you're this isn't a typical rebuild project, given the way that Lincoln Riley left, given all the players that it, that exited the transfer portal, including a Heisman Trophy winner. So, it's not about being 100% happy. You can be a little disappointed about where Oklahoma is right now, but on the same token, we still have a weekend of football to play. There's a lot of things that could happen. There's a lot of things that could happen next weekend. Yeah. There's a lot of ways the bowls could shake out, right? But I think if you're Oklahoma, you, get, you can favor or you can hope for a Big 12 title game appearance. You can hope for all that stuff, but... I think you just want to get a win over TCU at home on yeah. senior night, right? Yeah. That that's what you're
0: looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and think about it. Every team under Lincoln Riley had at least two losses on the year. Now, most of those losses, you know, those losses either came they had one in the, in the regular season and then one in a college football playoff, but you still finished twelve and two. If you're finishing eleven and two, and your trajectory is this instead of down to finish the year, I think you got to be happy about that. And if you can get to ten and two at the end of the year, after what and win close games, show that you can win close games after going 0-5 in them last year, I think you got to be happy with it.
2: I agree, but look, we still have. That this is none of this, either anything you or I are saying is not to say that oh you can't make the Big Twelve title game. Oh, there's yeah. a lot they, that can yeah, happen this year. Sure they can.
0: The, the Big Twelve has been easily the most uh the, the hardest the hardest pro or the hardest conference to, to predict this year. I mean, it's chaos every year or every 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 week. Man, I butchered that. It's chaos <laughs> every week in the Big 12. Um, you know. There are, this is easily the the most competitive, uh, I can remember that the the big 12 race has been, there are legitimately four teams that can, that have a, a way of getting in mathematically. There are still seven teams that can get into the big 12 championship. That's just, that's how crazy competitive it is. And so, um, yeah, anything can happen. I mean, we could, we could be talking about hypothetically, we could be talking about Texas tech and. And Iowa state playing in the big 12 championship, if things were to go crazy enough. So, I mean, that's just, that's how crazy this, this conference is. And Oklahoma does still have a shot. They do. And that's going into this weekend. Just look for
2: a win. let the chips fall where they may. I think that's the mindset if you're an OU football fan, but still plenty of chaos ahead of us, Brian, that is going to do it for us here at the Oklahoma drill You, I mean, people who listen to us, they know where to find us. They know you can find us at anywhere you listen to your podcasts, or you can also always head over to the OU Insider YouTube channel where we typically drop episodes on Thursday. But this week, we wanted to be generous and drop it on a Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, to prepare uh, any OU fans out there for some holiday travel. Uh, We know that that affects a lot of you guys out there. That affects Brian and I here, so... Uh, you know, we we, we wanted to, we wanted to give an early Thanksgiving gift, but typically we drop on Thursdays. If you're not a subscriber over at ouinsider.com, once you go ahead and head over there, you're gonna find plenty of content from myself, from Brian, from our colleagues Parker Thune and Brandon Drum. If you're not a if you're not subscribed to our OU Insider YouTube channel, you can find plenty of content from us. Brian and Parker just did a rewatch of the BYU OU game with live commentary. Uh, you can find the quick Slants series with me and Parker. You can find the Under the Visor podcast series with Brandon and Parker. You can also find the post-game podcast for this weekend against TCU. A lot of stuff to find there. But in the meantime, Brian, I am ready for chaos. Let it consume me. Let it overwhelm us. This is Big 12 football, baby. For one last regular season weekend, this is Big 12 football. Are you ready for it?
0: I I am. I'm excited, and and I'm also excited for one last tailgate right before the game. Um, oh, that's right. And if uh, I'm going to speak on on my hat on my behalf and on Jesse's behalf, if your family makes just a delightful pecan pie for Thanksgiving, and and you you have it in your heart to 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 let us try that on Friday morning. Um, we won't say no, we won't say no, but for real, come and stop by and see us at the podcast or at the, uh, come and see us at the, at the tailgate. Russell Jenkins puts that on. He does an excellent job.
2: That's right. That's right. The, the kickoff is at 11 AM local time. You can head over to OU Insider, uh, for more details about that tailgate, but we usually go a few hours before kickoff, uh, right on Lindsay street. Come say hi. Uh, all four of us, me, Parker, Brandon, and Brian will be there uh, come say hello, come hang out. Let's talk about some football and how crazy it is uh, to wrap up the big 12 season, but Brian let's ready, let's get ready for another crazy weekend and we'll see where we're at when we're talking next weekend for the Oklahoma drill for everybody else. Have a good weekend, have a good holiday, safe travels. We'll see you next time.